Open your Bibles to John chapter one. We are gonna finish the first chapter of John this morning. And you know, the text that Mandy just read for us is part of what uh, I'm gonna teach this morning. I'm gonna go all the way through verse 51, which is the end. By the way, if you are new with us, we have these books and we would love for you to grab one. I think we still have some available. You can ask somebody in the lobby out there when you leave. And the reason we make these available is because it's it, the version of the text that we teach, which is the English Standard Version. And then it also has a lot of blank space. You know, on the right-hand side, it's just blank pages for you to write notes. We encourage you to take notes. We encourage you to mark up the text. We also want you to bring your Bibles with you as well. Uh, some weeks we'll be referencing verses that are from all kinds of different places around the Bible. This morning, we're really gonna focus here on the text. We've got a long text to cover. And I'm telling you guys, there's some amazing things in here. And the challenge I had the last week or two as I've been working on this message is, how do I communicate this much information in a way that I can fit in and that we don't just get lost in all of it? So I think if you're willing to really turn on your minds this morning, you know, engage your minds, dig into this with me, I think there's something remarkable in this text that I want you to see. So uh, we're gonna start in these verses. And, and let me just say one more thing by way of introduction on this text. You know, the name of the, the message series is Following Jesus. And it made me think about this question. How is it that Jesus went about changing the world? Your mind probably goes, we died on the cross for our sins. And that's exactly right. But there's, there's other answers. There's deeper answers. I don't know deeper answers, but there's more to it than that. Even if you don't believe that Jesus rose from the grave, even if you're not a believer in Jesus as the son of God, and you're here this morning for, for, for all reasons that you're here, and we're glad you're here, even if you're not a believer in Jesus, it's tough to not acknowledge he's the most significant human being who ever lived in terms of his impact on history. Isn't it remarkable that 2000 years after his birth, there are still millions of people around the earth today that would raise their hand and say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. How did Jesus change the world? He didn't conquer land. He didn't build an empire. He didn't establish a city. He didn't discover some new scientific discovery that's named after him. I mean, all the ways that we think about, maybe you go about changing the world. He wasn't, didn't have a lot of wealth, didn't have a lot of political power, all these things. Jesus didn't do any of those things. How did he change the world? We are gonna see that question begin to be answered in the text this morning. So let me start back where Mandy read, verse 35 of John's gospel. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. We'll pause right there and finish the rest of this paragraph in a minute. Last week, if you missed it, Eric Hoffman was here. He did a really great job talking about John the Baptist and that's who's being referenced here. John says, behold, the Lamb of God. That was John's job was to point to the Messiah. And what's interesting here is John says, look, that's the one. He points to Jesus and two of John's disciples. Did you know John the Baptist had disciples? Two of John the Baptist's disciples take Jesus seriously and they go and start following Jesus. And it's interesting here what happens. Look at verse 38. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? If you're taking notes, if you have a pen or pencil handy, I wanna encourage you to do this. Put a box around these words of Jesus. Jesus speaks his first words in the gospel of John. And he says, what are you seeking? It's interesting that the first words of Jesus are a question. 
Questions of Jesus become a theme throughout John. Uh, it might be interesting for us, and I maybe encourage you to do this in the margin, just to kind of write a question mark every time you see a question that Jesus asks. You'll find 36 questions of Jesus in the Gospel of John. That's an awful lot. It's remarkable to me that Jesus did so much of his teaching through questions. That, that says something to us. Uh, listen to this. Jesus' first words in John were a question. Jesus' first words after his resurrection were a question. Jesus' last words in the Gospel of John were a question. And there's 36 questions altogether. Well, let's talk about this specific question. What are you seeking? What an insightful important question. On the service surface, you might think, well, Jesus is just curious why they're following him. And he, he turns around, he sees someone following. What are you, why are you following me? What are you seeking? What are you looking for from me? There's more going on. This is such a profound question. What are you seeking? In other words, what do you really want? What are you really looking for? What are you hoping for in life that you think me, Jesus, might possibly provide for you? What a good question for all of us this morning. You consider yourself a follower of Jesus, or, or maybe not, but you find yourself here this morning, whichever camp you're in. What are you looking for? What are you seeking? What do you really want from life? It's what an important question. Now, what's interesting is the disciples don't answer it. Listen to this next part. And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? They dodged the question. Maybe they don't know how to answer it. Maybe they're not yet ready to answer it. But they do the, uh, the politician thing. They answer the question with a question. They say, Rabbi, where are you staying? And you know, notice Jesus doesn't press the point. He doesn't say, I asked the question first. You know, he's gracious. And Jesus gives them a response to their question. And I want you to put a box around the next words of Jesus as well. Come and you will see. What a gracious response. He invites them into his home or his campsite or wherever he was staying. We don't know where Jesus was staying at this time. He had not yet made his way up to Galilee. So he was somewhere in further south. We don't know. Maybe he was staying with a friend or a relative or... Uh, we don't think he was still in Nazareth at this point because he was baptized uh, very recently right before that. So he's probably down by the Jordan River. He's staying somewhere and he invites them to come and see where he's living. Anytime you invite someone into your home, what are you doing? You're inviting them into relationship. You're saying, come, come and see the place where I lay my head. Come and see the table that, that we break bread. Come, come drink a cup of coffee with me. Come, come eat a meal with me. Come and be a part of the most intimate space in my life. Come into relationship with me. Now, I want you to think about what's really going on. Remember earlier in John 1, we know that this word became flesh. Like this is God himself in a human body. God is saying to these first followers, come and see where I live. And your mind goes to that verse that says he put on flesh and tabernacled or, or he, he put up a tent, he put up a dwelling with us. And now Jesus is calling these, come and see it. Come and see where I live. And, and ultimately, who's he pointing to? Himself. <laughs> He's the dwelling place of God. Come and see, come and see. Where are you staying? Come and see God himself 
is staying. Uh, the significance of the 10th hour here at the end of our, our verse uh, was 4 p.m. in the afternoon. So that means they would have had a meal together and then it would have been too late. You know, you couldn't travel at night in that culture. It would have been dangerous. They didn't have automobiles with headlights. And so they would have stayed with Jesus likely for the whole night. They would have spent the evening and the, the night with Jesus. Can you imagine the conversations around the campfire? God in the flesh was opening himself up to human beings. Jesus was fulfilling his mission. He's saying, come and see. Come and see the dwelling place of God. Now, I want you to connect the, the two um, phrases that have boxes around them, the words of Jesus. I, I wanted you to put boxes around these because I want these to stand out in your book, stand out in your Bible. Jesus asked, what are you seeking? They don't know how to answer it or they, they're not ready to answer it. And he says, come and you will see. Do you see the connection between the question and the response? What are you seeking? Come and you will see. The first words of Jesus are the gospel. The first words of Jesus, come, what are you seeking? And then come and you will see. They, they, they form the theme for the rest of this text, the theme for the rest of John's gospel, the theme for the life of Jesus. What are you seeking? Come to me and you will see. You will find it. Now, as we go through the rest of this rather long passage, I want you to keep coming back to those two phrases because they're going to be repeated. They're, they're the, theme, the theme of them are gonna be repeated. But before we move on, I, I want you to think about what these two disciples of John the Baptist were seeking. We actually know the answer to Jesus' question. The answer that they didn't give, we know the answer. What were they looking for? I, I'll phrase it this way. It's actually who. Who were they looking for? Some, someone tell me, yes, the Messiah. They were looking for Messiah. How do we know they're looking for Messiah? Well, the clearest way is look at what comes next. One of the two who had heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we found the Messiah. There it is. If there's any question what they were looking for, now we know, we found it. He goes to Simon and says, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, let me just talk for a minute about Messiah. Messiah was the promised king that would come reestablish independence for the Jewish nation. They were not independent. They were under Roman rule. They were looking for rescue and salvation politically, militarily, economically. You know, they were paying all these taxes to Rome. That was the kind of Messiah they're looking for. And Andrew, convinced that this is the one, he must have been convinced by the conversations they had around the campfire and, you know, wherever Jesus was staying the night before. He runs to his brother. He says, we found him, we found him, the Messiah, the Christ. You know, those are just... Same, same word in two different languages. He brought him to Jesus. And, and of course, Jesus now is seeing one of the most important characters we're gonna read about in the rest of the gospel, Simon Peter. And, and what is Simon Peter looking for? So Andrew was looking for Messiah. He was seeking Messiah. Well, you know, what do you seek? The answer was Messiah. What is Peter seeking? We don't know. However, we can infer something by what Jesus gave him. What did Jesus give Simon in this text? A new name, a new name. Now, what can we infer about that? Well, Jesus knew what Simon needed. Jesus knew what Simon was looking for. 
and he knew what to say to Simon to get Simon to follow him, to say, whoa, maybe Simon needed a fresh start. A new name represents that. Maybe Simon needed a vision for the future. Maybe Simon needed to know his true identity. You know, maybe Simon needed to be called to something greater than what he was currently doing and being. And whatever it was that Simon needed, Jesus knew it. And he looks at him. He says, you are this now. You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Kephas, which means Peter, um, means rock. Petra is the Greek word. We get Peter from Petra. You will be called rock. And Jesus knew what Andrew needed, what he was seeking. And now Jesus knew what Peter was seeking. And he's providing the answer. He's providing, he says, come and see. For both of what you're looking for, come and see. Uh, let's look at the next verses. Uh, did I miss something here? Nope, I covered it, we're good. Um, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Let's pause right there. We'll finish the rest in a minute. Anytime we have geographical references, I wanna give you a visual. So you can see, I think this helps bring the text to life. Here's Israel at the time of Jesus. Jesus was baptized near Bethany, this Bethany on the east of the Jordan. There's another Bethany by Jerusalem that will come into play later in the story. But we know specifically from John chapter one, verse 28, that Jesus was baptized somewhere in this region over here near Bethany on the far side of the Jordan. So that would have been here. Now we get another geographical reference in John 1, verse 44, to Galilee, specifically Bethsaida, which is on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus is gonna go down here from where he was baptized up to Galilee and he is going to do two thirds of his ministry right around the Galilee region, right? Specifically up in this region right here, there's Chorazin and Capernaum, Magdala, where Mary Magdalene was from, and Cana, where he's gonna turn the water into wine. And there's not too far from Nazareth where he was, grew up. So this is sort of Jesus' home base for his ministry. And I wanted you to be able to connect the dots geographically to what you're talking about. Let's go back to our text, uh, verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Pause there. So what is Philip seeking? Messiah, you know, the same thing. Specifically, he's saying the one that was in the law of Moses and the prophets. In other words, the one that was foretold, the one that we've been waiting for, we've found him. He is Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph. I'll check this next verse out. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Underline that. There's our theme again. In other words, he's saying, you might doubt now, but come and see for yourself. Come and see. Now, what's this, can anything good come out of Nazareth about? 
We're not real sure. Uh, it, it's sort of humorous in a way. Uh, Nazareth was a, a nowhere town. It was a small little town. Uh, it so happens, as you saw on that last map, that Nazareth was near Cana. We're gonna, we're gonna learn later that Nathaniel's from Cana. So maybe they were high school rivals, you know, growing up. It's like, you know, I, I cheer for the... Canaanites? Uh, no, no, that wouldn't be the Canaanites from Cana, but I cheer for the football team from Cana and you cheer for the football team from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's more than likely though, it's just a reference that uh, Nazareth is, is nowhere important. Nazareth was is not predicted and prophesied to be the place where Messiah was gonna be born. That was Bethlehem. Well, he doesn't know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth. Uh, it was a small little podunk, podunk town. Anybody born in a small little tiny nowhere town? Okay, okay, where, where, what's your town? What's your hometown? Lytton, Iowa. Lytton, Iowa. Lytton, Iowa. Okay, population, nothing, right? 278. Can anything good come out of Lytton, Iowa? Will, the answer is yes, and here she is, right? John's like, yeah, you bet. All right, that's the idea behind this. Now, again, Philip, who has already encountered Christ, knows that Nathaniel is about to meet the real deal. And he's just saying, come and see. So you see the pattern here. Jesus says to Andrew and the other follower of John the Baptist, come and see. Andrew finds Simon Peter and says, oh, we found him, come, come, see. Then Jesus calls Philip and Philip says to Nathaniel, come and see. Do you see the pattern that's going on? And, and let's see what happens when Nathaniel encounters Jesus. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. I've always been kind of fascinated by this little exchange and you know, so mysterious. On the surface, you might think, what's the big deal of Jesus saying, I saw you under the fig tree? Like, maybe he was just happened to be walking by and he looked across the hill and there was Nathaniel under a fig tree and Jesus remembered what he looked like. No, there has to be more than that because of Nathaniel's response. So all we can say for sure is that there was something about that fig tree that was very significant to Nathaniel. Or there was something about that moment or that period of time or that evening or that day when Nathaniel was under the fig tree that meant something to him. And now he's realizing Jesus has to be from God because no one would know that except God. The narrator doesn't tell us what it was. It's just between Nathaniel and Jesus. This is a good time for a short commercial break. Let's talk about the chosen. <laughs> now, I really like this show. It may not be for everybody. Uh, let, let, me just, let me just tell you why I appreciate 
this show. And, and by the way, the storyline of The Chosen follows the gospel of John pretty closely. You'll see that as we go through, especially these first four, verse, four chapters or so. So it, uh, it, it's an episodic show that's being made about the ministry of Jesus. It starts when he first starts calling his disciples and they're making multiple seasons. They're producing season three right now. The first two seasons are out there. Uh, you can go to the, the ch- search The Chosen on your app store and download it, and then you can stream it to your television um, which is kind of magical. I don't know how that happens, but it's some kind of <laughs> amazing magic. But anyway, the, 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 the men that you see following here, obviously disciples of Jesus. And the reason it's called the chosen is it focuses on their lives. It focuses on what might their stories have been before they met him. These, these men and women who were called, who were chosen to follow Jesus. And so, you know, episode one tells the story of Mary Magdalene. And then episode two and three start hearing about Simon Peter's story. And, and again, people say, well, that, that stuff that they're talking about is not in the Bible. Here's what I would say. It's faithful to the Bible. It goes beyond the Bible to imagine what might've been Peter's backstory that when he met Jesus, he needed a new name. You know, it, it imagines these things. And I find it so helpful. The reason I, I take the commercial break right now is because there's an episode in season two that focuses on Nathaniel. And it's so beautifully done to just imagine what might've been going on in this man's life. What conversation might he have had with God under a fig tree? And when Jesus encounters him later and says, I saw you, that Nathaniel would fall on his feet and say, you're the son of God. This show has, uh, silly as it is to say this, has helped me love Jesus more. And if for no other reason, I would commend it to you for that. So I'd encourage you as we're walking through John, take a look at the chosen. Let's go back to our text, commercial break over. Now, um, there's, there's something beautiful about what John the writer is building in this text. Did you see the words Jesus used when he spoke to Nathanael? Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Hear the pattern. Jesus says to Andrew, come and see. Andrew finds Simon and shows him. See, Jesus. Jesus calls Philip. Philip comes to Nathanael and says, come and see. And then at the end of the pattern, you find Jesus saying, I saw you first. Before you knew to look for me, I was looking for you. There's something profound about this for you and me. Jesus is communicating. You might have thought you were seeking me. You might have thought that you thought maybe I was what you were looking for. And indeed that is true, but you also need to know before you ever started your search, I was searching for you. I was seeking you. Before you even knew who to seek, that one was seeking you. I saw you, Jesus says. And so Nathaniel's response, he says, son of God, king of Israel, these are messianic titles. He's recognizing instantly. I just love that faith and, and Jesus is marveling at his faith. In fact, let's go ahead and look at that next verse. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe, you will see greater things than these. Pause right there for a minute. What has Jesus done in your life 
that you'd say, that thing, that thing he did, and is that enough for you? Jesus is encouraging Nathaniel. He's saying, all I did was I made a connection to this profound moment in your life under the fig tree and you believe because of that. No, what about you? What's the profound thing that Jesus has done in your life? You'd say, if for, if for nothing else, I know, I know Jesus did that in me and I believe in him. You know, Jesus is commending that kind of faith. But then he goes on and says, you'll see greater things than these. It's like, buckle your seatbelt, man. It's like, whatever he's done in your life in the past, you're gonna see even something greater. Now, notice again, our theme, come and see, come and see. It's, it's building and you notice it just shifted. Jesus has, says, I saw you. And now he's turning the attention back toward Nathaniel. He says, you will see future tense, greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. What in the world is Jesus talking about? Okay, dial in with me on this because this is about to get really cool. And for me, I, I hope for you. <laughs> I think the scripture is amazing. There's another place in the Bible, in the Old Testament, where there's a man who sees angels ascending and descending, ascending and descending. And that's the reference Jesus is making. Who was that other man in the Old Testament who saw angels ascending and descending? Exactly, Jacob. Now, what was the object that Jacob saw the angels ascending and descending on? A ladder, or, or it might've been a stairway, a staircase, you know, that, that could be translated either way. This is where we get stairway to heaven, you know, for those of you that are musically inclined. Now, it's also where Jacob's ladder comes from. Jacob's ladder, stairway to heaven, is the same idea. Here's the backstory. Jacob, this one we know about. This isn't like chosen style. We know Jacob's backstory. Jacob was uh, one of the founding um, uh, forefathers of the Hebrew people. Jacob got into some trouble early in his life. He stole the birthright from his older brother. That was a huge deal in that culture. He basically was stealing the possession, stealing the wealth, stealing the money. And so his brother wants to kill him. So he has to flee the land, flees the promised land. On his way out, he finds a certain spot. He's tired. He lays his head down on a rock. That night, he has a vivid dream. He dreams about a ladder or a stairway and it's going between earth and heaven. And on that stairway or ladder are angels descending and ascending and then descending and ascending. And he hears the voice of God making him these promises. And he wakes up in the morning and this is what he sees. And this is so important for our text. Listen, Genesis 28. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Now, here's what's going on. Jacob had assumed that he'd stumbled onto a portal. Literally, this is what was in his mind, that, that it looked just like a comfy place to sleep. And then he sees what's really there at night which is, this is the gate of heaven. This is the house of God. This is the, the entryway. This is the portal where God's space, heaven, and human space, earth, overlap. And so he wakes up and he's like, this is amazing. I didn't even know this was here. Surely the Lord is in this place. How awesome is this place? None other than the house of God, gate of heaven. He names the place Bethel, which means 
God's house. It becomes a very important place in the Old Testament. Now, Jesus, referencing that story, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending, not on a ladder, on me. Son of man is Jesus' title for himself. How are the angels gonna ascend and descend on him? That's weird. Jesus is speaking metaphorically. What he's saying is, I am the ladder between heaven and earth. I am the stairway to heaven. I am the portal between God's space and man's space where they interlap. Jesus is fully God and fully man and he's gonna make the way to heaven, do you see? In other words, go back to Jacob's words. What Jesus is saying is you think you, you know who I am. You don't fully know who I am. Someday you'll say, surely the Lord is in this place, i.e. the body of Jesus Christ. And we did not know it. And you're gonna say, how awesome is this place, this person, Jesus Christ? He is none other than the house of God, which is true. He is none other than the gate of heaven, which is true. At this point, the disciples are starting to believe he's Messiah, but they had no idea that Messiah was gonna be God himself in flesh. That was revealed to them slowly over time. So God, Jesus is saying, you will see that. You will come to know that. By the way, it's actually not until after his resurrection that they start really putting the pieces together. And so this is a little bit looking forward. You will see the angels ascending and descending on the son of man. You're gonna to come to understand. And here's the point that I wanna make about this. Jesus is saying, I'm even more than you believe now. You think you're seeking Messiah and you found him and that's true. But what you're really seeking is connection between heaven and earth. What you're really seeking is a way to be in the presence of God. You're really seeking God himself knowing you, seeing you. You're really seeking a way for your creator to be accessible to you because that's where true hope lies. That's where true rescue lies. That's where true liberation is. Look past your ideas of Messiah and start to imagine he's more than you believe. So let's put it all together. The passage starts with this question, what are you seeking? What a penetrating question. The passage begins with a question. It ends with Jesus saying, whatever it is you're seeking, you're gonna find so much more than you believe now. And in between the beginning of the passage and the end of the passage, we see five men encounter Jesus. Each one begins to find what they're seeking in Jesus. Andrew finds Messiah. Peter finds a fresh start, a new name. Nathaniel finds someone who sees him, who knows him. They all find what they're seeking in Jesus. And then Jesus says, you're gonna see even more. You're gonna find even more. Question for us this morning, what are you seeking? 
what are you seeking? And then the next thing Jesus says is come and see. I want to give you a few moments to consider these things. We'll put a question, two questions on the screen for you to reflect on. What are you seeking? How will you respond to Jesus' invitation to come and see? And, and as you're considering that, I'm going to give you some moments while music plays in, in about a minute. We'll start that. But just as you're considering that now, I, I just want to ask you to, to consider how did Jesus change the world? You know, he, he didn't conquer a land. He didn't build a building. He didn't do all those things. He changed the world by offering the answer to the question. For every human being who dares to ask, what am I seeking? Jesus provides the answer. Another way to think about it is this. Jesus changed the world by being the answer to his own question. What are you seeking? Let's take a moment now to consider these questions for us personally. response this morning, I want to invite you to take out the elements of the communion that you received when you came in. And if you didn't pick one up, if you missed them, or for whatever reason, you didn't grab one. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you to go get one right now. And I'll give you a moment to do that. You don't need to be shy. Just stand up and make your way back there. Invite the band to come back up on stage as well. They're going to lead us in a song after we take these elements. But while, while some are, are getting the communion elements, if you already have it, you can peel back that first layer. Just hold on to the bread for a minute. Don't eat it yet. I want to make some connections to the text this morning with, with our communion, and then I'll lead us in uh, receiving the communion together. Jesus is still changing the world today. He turned the lives of these men upside down. They had no idea what they were getting into and they just started following Jesus. I don't think that Andrew and, and the other unnamed disciple of John the Baptist, I don't think they had any idea what they really were seeking. Yeah, they knew it was Messiah, but oh, he's so much more. I find myself in their sandals. Do I really know all that Jesus is? Do I really know all that I'm seeking, all that I'm wondering, all that I'm wanting, all that I'm longing for? But you know what I do know? it's him. And so what the disciples in Jesus day had that you and I don't have today is they could literally see Jesus in the flesh. When he said, come and see, he, he meant it's come see me in the flesh. You and I don't have that today, but what we do have is this. We have this, and, and here's, here's what I mean. 
Jesus gave this to us. He gave this to the church, to the followers that would come after the disciples. Because I think Jesus knew most of his followers would not have a chance in their earthly life to see in the flesh. So he gave us something tangible that we can see and hold on to and remember. And so this morning, whatever it is that you're seeking, Jesus would say to that, come and see, seek it in me. And if you dare to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, receive this symbol of his body and let's eat it together. Peel back the purple foil layer of the cup. And again, this is something tangible, something we can see, something we can receive, something we can even taste. And in the supper, last supper with his disciples, he held up the cup and he said, This, this is my blood, and, and I'm going to pour this out for you. This is what is necessary for me to connect you to your Creator, and I want to do that. Come and see, and let us drink. Father, you are so good to us. You seek us before we seek you. You invite us to see more than we've seen yet. You offer us what we really need. Even though for many of us, we're unsure if you are all that we need. I pray that you would give us faith, that you would help us to see and believe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.